0: Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: that's right, everybody. You heard the man, you know where you are. This is Tyler Schaaf, and I am the co-host of the Cashflow Guys podcast. This week, old man, do we have a treat for you. Mike and I have been pacing the cage all week waiting for this interview. This is something, this topic that's very near and dear to our heart. It is a two-part topic. We're going to talk about, number one, zoning. Don't snore. Zoning is important. We are learning this lesson in Tarpon Springs. Zoning is very important. Mike's going to talk about that here in just a second. But second, we're also going to learn about ADUs. And ADUs, Mike, what's ADU stand for? I've heard accessory
1: dwelling unit, auxiliary dwelling unit, additional dwelling unit. But either way, it's a small mother-in-law, I guess you would call it, what we used to call a mother-in-law house in the back. Right. Where you have an existing single-family home, and now you're almost making it into a duplex, a detached duplex. And... This kind of goes along the theme we've been having lately, Tyler, which is repurposing single-family homes. Because we all know that the whole model of long-term rental for single-family, even multifamily, doesn't work as well as it used to. So now we're branching out and seeing how could we make this work with alternative uses? And what we're about to learn today, I learned a new word. It's called infilling. So speaking about infilling is that ADU guy we've got Derek Sherrell on. And like you said, I'm super excited to have him on because I'm a big ADU fan right now, especially in Colorado. It's like the new
0: buzzword. You're up and close and personal to it, aren't you?
2: Oh, (laughs) Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. And we need your expertise, let me tell you. (laughs) Wait till the end to say that. I want to make sure I give you some good
0: info. So for those of you that don't know, Mike lives out in a little teeny town called Salida, Colorado, that Arguably is about the same size as Key West, Florida, a little postage stamp on the, in the, out in the middle of nowhere out there in Colorado. I'm on this little rock island out in the middle of the ocean. And in both locations, Derek, we have a housing crisis. We have more people there than we have housing to put them in Key West. We've got 20, 25 people living in one two bedroom mobile home. People literally stacked in Navy style racking inside of. Six, seven hundred square foot mobile homes. It is bad, and those beds rent for a thousand dollars a month. One bed. It's insane. There needs to be change, and I think this episode we're going to hear some options. So, welcome. Awesome. Yeah, glad to be here. Like I said, thank you. So, Mike, what do you? Got? I know you got a bunch of questions, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Oh, you could
1: just tell I'm just like on fire, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, probably a lot of your our viewers right now, wherever you're from. You've probably heard the word housing crisis. So I'll just give you an example. Where I am, I'm in this little ski town in Colorado. I love this place. It's like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. The city council is all about affordable housing. They're complaining, we need to make housing in this area affordable. And one of their solutions is, well, they're copying other states out further out west, is accessory dwelling unit, auxiliary dwelling unit, like we mentioned, adding a smaller house onto your current single family property which sounds interesting. But when you think about it, is it really making affordable housing or affordable rentals? Really, it's making affordable rentals, which is where we come in, right? We want to be the landlord of these affordable rentals. So now everybody can profit. People can move into the town when they want to. And that's why we got Derek. Derek, I know you mentioned you're in Oregon. Maybe you want to tell us a little
2: bit about what you've been working on in the ADU space. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks again, guys. So I'm out in Southern Oregon and I've been going deep, not wide, into this single strategy since 1996. That's when I completed my first accessory dwelling unit build, and I've never looked back. I don't say that I'm the national expert in the ADU strategy, but I will say that all the people that I think are experts call me with their questions. Really, what we're looking to do with this strategy is what I call capitalism with compassion, and you really nailed it. It's like, how do we create more housing? It's not affordable. Unless something is subsidized today, you're not going to meet the standard for the HUD definition of 60% of AMA affordability. But what we will do is provide more units. And the more units we have, the more downward pressure we have on pricing, simple supply and demand. Um, while we can still make a fair return as a landowner or a property owner to rent that out, you brought up some great points in your intro talking about how city councils all over the country, especially in in big mountain states like Colorado or warm states with good tax laws like Florida are having all these problems. And we're looking to places like Oregon and BC, places that have been deploying the strategy for a long time and we're seeing that it really does work. So I'm really excited to share with you guys planning and zoning, building, designing secrets, everything I've learned over the past 30 years Don't fall asleep with zoning. Like I I know that he mentioned it in the intro. Zoning is the rule book of how we make money in real estate. And everybody wants to just gloss over. Like I never see anybody make content about zoning. Nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to read about it. But it literally is our playbook. So super excited to be here and talk about it. Hopefully if you're listening, you're driving to work, you're sitting at home, you're working on your resume at your corporate job, whatever you're doing, hopefully I can say something. We can say something today that will help give you some ideas. I love what you said, Derek, zoning.
1: You know, there's there's been a lot of mom and pop landlords who try to get around zoning, which I can understand why, but instead of fighting the beast, if you work with the beast, what I've noticed in my town of Salida, the entire city gets on board with your idea and kind of builds on it. And that's where really the profitability is. Now you don't have to hide anymore. We're going out. This is what we're doing for the community. It's great things with the Mm -hmm. community. City council's on board. So I saw on your email bio to us that you're a big fan of city council meetings. Now, Tyler and I have been talking about this for months. I hate to say it. We're like nerds when it comes to city council meetings. We watch recordings hours and hours of it because it's full of really good content. Because if you, like we said, if you follow what the city wants, they will help you, you help them. And that's how progress is really made. So can you talk about more of your experience of going to city council
2: meetings and bringing up the ADU issue and how it's helped you? Yeah, for sure. So legislation is where change happens, period. If it's local at a city council meeting, if it's in your region at a planning commission, if it's going to your state capital and talking to a state representative or a congressperson on the federal level, that is where change happens. And I I, I can't say this any other way, but they listen to their constituents if they want to be elected and reelected. So they're policymakers that have very little experience in some areas where they make very major decisions. And the only way to be heard is to have a seat at the table. And the beautiful thing about our free country here, as we know it now, is that you can show up in public participation and public meeting. And you can also look back in public records. So it doesn't matter if you're not interested in the ADU strategy because you live in the Midwest or you don't want to do manufactured home parks because you live on an island with no dirt. You have to understand zoning and decision making for any piece of real estate. It could be wanting to do A-frames for short-term rentals. Short-term rentals is a huge one right now because everybody bought all these houses and they think they're going to rent them by the night, come to find out. the There's rules and you can't always do that or you have to meet parking standards or you have to do blah, 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 blah. And the way to find out really is to either read the rules, which is the zoning documents, or to go to the meetings where they make the rules. And that's where I always say to start. And my experience has been exactly what you said. We don't need to fight the system. I think Buckmaster Fuller said it best. We want to have the system work with us. So how do we partner with the system? And my experience with getting involved in that was I would just show up to the planning department and complain about codes and complain about regulation and legislation and compliance. And after years of that, they finally said, hey, there's an opening on the planning commission. Do you want to do some work? And I was like, oh, no, what did I just do? And I right. ended up yeah. taking that volunteer obligation, and it really changed my life. It changed the way I think. It changed the way I teach because the public meeting and the policy making process is is not nearly as complicated as most people think. And all you have to do is take action. You don't need intelligence you need to be able to take action. And showing up at these meetings and speaking on agenda or non-agenda items is where change happens. I've seen big commissions or committees or councils be swayed by one or two people that brought up a good point that were in that jurisdiction of voting. So yes, that's very important. It's been my
0: experience, and I'm curious if this has been yours, Derek. When I go to these meetings and I watch the dynamic of what's going on, I've done it in several municipalities, but at the most of the meetings I've been to have been in Key West and Tarpet Springs. That's where we're doing things and moving and shaking right now. It feels to me, my perception is that the experts are not the ones sitting up in the front of the room with the cameras, the lights, and the microphones. The experts are actually behind the scenes in the office. Like we met, I can't think of her name now, Allie in Tarpet Springs, Mike. That girl was on her game. She knew she was very helpful. And she wrote, wrote us like a 10 page email on how we can make a driveway work in our with one of our investment properties. Sitting in the meetings, I don't see the same thing where they den- generally tend to look at the city attorney for
2: guidance. I think they turn over a lot. Has that been your experience too out in Oregon? Yeah. Yes. That's very well put. Yes. The experts are not the decision makers. And usually the people that sway the decision makers are just constituents. They're not always experts either. So that's why it's important to to, we don't want to have our hand in it to meddle or to manipulate. We just want to be involved to bring to light a point of view from somebody who is what I would call in the trenches, like doing the work. So if you're trying to create an assisted living facility, but you can't meet the access and circulation standard, at least being there or having your land use planner be there to be able to explain what's going on is a really huge, valuable lesson that so many people just don't get to hear it's not very often that I'm on an interview and somebody is talking about showing up at legislative meetings. So this is exciting for me too, but you guys are obviously doing your homework. There's different le- levels of opportunity for cash flow and flipping a house or having a rental or two, you're not really dealing with the planning and zoning office. But when you're looking to add value and to really niche down into a specific area like you guys are doing, like I do, that's when it becomes really important to understand planning and zoning development and the procedures that go with them. For us here, cash
0: flow guys, every dollar I could, for the most part, we've made over the years for doing deals. Mike and I, whether together or separately, have come from one thing. And that's figuring out where the problems lie and then coming up with a solution to solve them. Mike's done that with transportation. He's done it with a housing for pilots. He's doing it for housing and pilots. We're doing it with assisted living. We've done it with all kinds of different exit strategies. And I think a lot of times folks skip, they see the city council and I, cause I still to that day, to this day, I'll be honest, I'm a little intimidated going in front of city council, even though I know they're not experts in their craft because they're volunteers a lot of times. And if they are paid, it's very little. It's a stipend. They're just, it's, they didn't go to college for it. They haven't worked in the industry for 30 years. They, volu- they raised their hand like you did and said, I'll do it. You're probably the most experienced volunteer that ever showed up to one of those things. But when I, as we look into this, we've shifted how we go look for deals now. We specifically are looking for one of the reasons we chose assisted living besides the obvious feel good reasons, and and it's also profitable at the same time, is the fact that we can really make positive change in communities. One of the things that we get a pushback from when we, because we're exploring other towns in Florida besides Tarpon Springs. And when we initially talk to these zoning boards, their pushback is density. All I hear is density. Oh, you're going to add more people to our community. Our argument, and I want, I'm curious your input on this, our argument is The people that are going to live in our assisted living home already live in Tarpon Springs. They already live in Palm Harbor. They already live in wherever it may be, Spring Hill. They're just moving out of their home, selling it, and then moving into one home where they can be taken care of.
2: What are your thoughts on that as far as density? That's a good question. I'm not an expert in your local planning and zoning code, and I'll say that up front because I try to be clear about that. But I would say that the density is almost irrelevant based on the need of the city or county. Most of the density requirements and pushback you get are going to say, we don't have large enough sewer pipes or the sidewalks are old, or we don't have transportation or parks funds coming in that we need. The cool thing about your model, especially if they're in your area, is your clientele. I always tell all my um, students and people I'm working with to build or buy to your end user. And your end user is somebody who's going into assisted care. They're not probably going to be sending kids to the elementary school that need to pay the school bond. They're probably not going to be driving 10,000 pound trucks down the roadway and affecting the asphalt. They're probably not going to be requiring parts. In green spaces, they're at a different part in their life. But my argument to anybody saying, hey, we're against all this infill, all these new people, all this density, I would say our end user, our client actually doesn't even use the services that you're worried about being overrun. That would be really different if you were building college housing. So I would say that you have a pretty good argument to counter density. What we're seeing out west is almost the opposite problem. It would be like, I go buy a lot and I want to build a triplex and the city says, no, we need increased density and we'll let you build on this, but you have to build eight or more units. So there's cool. always, mm. th- there's always an argument on each side of this, depending on where you're at and what the, let's say that the appetite for density is. It sounds like they're full, they don't want density, but you can say, hey, we have a, an end user here that's not going to affect the systems. And these services, you're afraid they will. So I think that's a pretty easy argument for you.
1: And this is a great lead in. You, you talk like there's always opponents and people for it. People, some people don't want density, leave the town the way it is. And some people understand, hey, we need to bring more diversity, more, bre- bring more people in and bring the cost of living down. I've seen that a lot of our city council meetings. Have you seen when a city says, hey, we're thumbs up with ADUs, except what
2: type of limitations do you see? Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Some of the limitations I see, what we'll know as kind of poison pills in the industry are residency requirements. So you can build these smaller second or tertiary buildings in your backyard and you can even rent them out, but you have to be the owner occupant to do it. So in other words, you can't stack these up all over town like we would like to do to add more units. The other one would be an off street parking requirement. And a lot of municipalities will do that. They'll say, yes, you can have an ADU and no, there's no residency requirement, but you're going to need to provide at least one off street parking spot with a minimum dimension of nine by 19. And the way we've developed houses for the last hundred years has been pretty much with a small two car garage that's got a 16 foot opening and there's about a 20 foot apron. And then everything else around that is either buffer or minimum lot line setback or another house. Just by design and by tradition, we just don't have a lot of room off the street to put in another impervious spot to park a car. And a lot of planners know that. And so if